You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, you can always listen online at our website, depetro.com. Well, if there was any thought that this woman, Holly McLaren, the woman right in the middle, uh, really at the center of this Sabina Matos scandal, lieutenant governor with the signatures, Channel 12, through their patience, good reporting, staked her out, got her on camera, and she does not seem like she's going to go quietly. If anything, she seems like she's going to be a problem for the Matos campaign and potentially for the McKee campaign. I want to play. This is the Channel 12 piece. Hey, Ashley. We tracked down the woman at the center of a yep. signature scandal involving the Sabina Matos campaign. <clears throat> Holly McLaren is now being investigated by the attorney general over names she submitted to get Matos on the ballot for Congress. Target 12 investigator Tim White is here now with the details. The investigation into the Matos campaign signatures is heating up. Holly McLaren's attorney tells me he has reached out to state prosecutors on behalf of his client. And Attorney General Peter Narona has convened a meeting with the police departments in the forgery investigation. Whoa. Holly, how are you? I'm doing great. Target 12 caught up with Holly McLaren late Tuesday outside her Providence apartment. It was the first time we've seen McLaren since the start of the signature scandal that has rocked the Sabina Matos congressional campaign. Any response to these signatures? What's your side of the story? You haven't heard from you uh, on all this. What's your, what's your side of the story? Yeah, I think my lawyer just made a statement. Well, you're you what, what's day. your side? Yeah. Were any of these signatures forged? No. And you, you, you said, you said there was no instructions. What was that all about? They give you no instructions? McLaren signed for hundreds of signatures collected on the Matos campaign's behalf. They are now under scrutiny after voters in four different communities tell Target 12 their names were forged. Is that your signature? No, it is not my signature. McLaren's attorney John Grasso said Tuesday in a statement, McLaren struck a deal with the Matos campaign to assemble a handful of people to gather ballot signatures. He says while McLaren signed nomination papers attesting she gathered the signatures herself, it was sometimes a member of her team who did the legwork. Matos's spokesperson says McLaren violated their trust. McLaren's no newcomer to politics, memorably appearing in this campaign ad for Governor Dan McKee last year. We're always the lead investigators. Additionally, Target 12 has confirmed Attorney General Peter Narona met with the Jamestown, Newport, and State Police. Grasso says he called the AG's office Wednesday, offering to set up a meeting between McLaren and prosecutors. The Board of Elections voted last week to send the signatures to Nerona's office. Coming up, new at 6, we learn how much the Matos campaign paid McLaren for the signatures. With the Target 12 investigators, Tim White, 12 News. Now, where this is really also dangerous is they were using it for signatures. But last summer, she was involved in ballot collection, ballot collection for the McKee campaign. So this woman, who knows how far this could go? She may be able to lead them right to the governor. And remember, that's how he was able to beat Helena Folks in the primary. So she's got her lawyer. Uh, boy, she sounds totally different than the commercial that they embellished that the McKee people, that they um, had that commercial of her with the, hey, Ashley, you're not from around here. But this Holly McLaren, she knows a lot. She was on the inside. She could, and remember, when you're cooperating, you have to cooperate with everything. So I think something to watch, they work with her on an immunity deal to give them Governor McKee. She was paid for the McKee, by the McKee campaign. She's heavily, heavily involved. She knows a lot. She's been in meetings. She's been in the room. Okay, she could give them Matos. But you have to wonder, the larger target of this investigation becomes Governor McKee. That's the way, to me, to watch how this is going to break out. It's also, so she was paid $16,000 for one month, supposedly just to get signatures. But here's what a lot of people have focused on. Folks, if, if you can do this just to get signatures to get on the ballot, that still has to be notarized. 
the same thing. What what could she do, and what could they do for mail ballots that don't have to be notarized? All right, let's pick it up again. This is the Tim White piece. They tracked down this Holly McLaren. Grasso says she was only paid one installment of about $5,200. Yeah, In a statement, Grasso says McLaren signed nomination papers for signatures she did not gather, which has raised questions about the validity of nomination papers submitted by McLaren. The Matos campaign has said they would still meet the 500 signature threshold, even if election officials discounted the names on the McLaren documents. As you recall, the Board of Elections ended up certifying the nomination papers last. Hold on. I want to come back to uh, when they're getting into the payment now, because then you do the math on it. And you can find out exactly and figure out, excuse me, exactly how much they were paying per signature, because that's how the the equation really comes out, Uh, because the same uh, equation that they use of how much they're paying per signature, the same could then be done for mail ballots. That's what it comes down to. It is true they paid her $5,200, but it was the first installment of three payments that were going to total close to 16000 Let me pick so it up again. We've seen McLaren since okay, so Channel 12 gets her, which is good because now Matos congressional campaign. Any response to these signatures? What's your side of the story? We haven't heard from you uh, on all this. What's your, what's your side of the story? Yeah, I think my lawyer just made a statement. Well, you're you here. What's day. your side? Yeah. Were any of these signatures forged? No. You, you, you said, you said there was no instructions. What was that all about? They give you no instructions? McLaren is at the center of a criminal investigation into signatures submitted on behalf of the Sabina Matos congressional campaign. Target 12 tracked down people on nomination papers submitted by McLaren. Is that your signature? No, it is not my signature. Not my handwriting at all. Who say their names were forged. McLaren's attorney John Grasso tells Target 12 the Matos campaign and McLaren struck a deal where McLaren would be paid nearly $16,000 for McLaren to assemble a team of people to gather signatures. Grasso says she was only paid one installment of about $5,200. In a st- okay, the same, um, the same equation, same formula would be used for ballot collection as well. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. Get your driveway paved. J. Perry Paving. Letter J. J. Perry Paving. High quality, fair pricing, exceptional service, over 25 years experience, specialized commercial paving, residential paving, seal coating. Call for a free estimate today, 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving paving hey learn about the benefits of asphalt paving whether it's a brand new paving project or a cracked driveway it's affordable smooth safe to drive on aesthetically appealing asphalt can be recycled reused j perry paving a licensed and insured contracting company committed to meeting your needs no matter how big how small contact them today for a free quote 401-732-1730 what a difference it makes for your driveway, for your business, parking lot. J, letter J, J Perry Paving, 401-732-1730. Online at jperrypaving.com and look for them on Facebook. You are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, you can always listen online at our website, petro.com. Time for our legal segment. Joining us right now, he is one of Rhode Island's top attorneys. So he's our legal expert is attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, uh, obviously, we're going to start the lieutenant governor, uh, all the machinations, everything that has happened with this case. We're going to go over some of the legal elements of this, starting with apparently the state police have taken the lead. The attorney general, Peter Rona's office, have taken the lead on this uh, signature forging uh, allegations that at current count, I believe it's it's it started in Jamestown, then it was Newport, then East Providence, Barrington. Channel Ten reported also. Uh, Providence is suddenly in, involved as well. But let's start off with some of the legal aspects of uh, what's involved here. Well, the the providing 
or attesting to signatures on nomination papers, which are not in fact correct, that is a felony. Uh, it's punishable, I forget if it's five years or 10 years in prison, but it's a significant potential for incarceration with these types of crimes. They don't occur too often. I mean, right. usually, you know, the nomination papers might get a cursory look, but this started in um, Jamestown, a relatively small community. So you've got the um, town clerk who is looking the papers over, pretty much knows everyone in town. People in those positions often do. And suddenly they're seeing dead people's names, <laughs> signing yeah. the petition, et cetera. So where is the potential criminal um, exposure? Well, potentially with Holly McLaren, potentially with uh, Shannon Gallagher. These are the people who were signing off that they had collected signatures. Um, Holly McLaren was sort of the, apparently the lead person who was hired to round up a group of individuals to go collect signatures for the nomination papers. Now, you, everyone has seen these nomination papers. It's papers with lots of blanks, some, and the, you could have multiple, some, some pages fully filled in, some half filled in, but whoever gets however many signatures, those then get turned in. The person who's collecting the signatures signs an attestation that they collected the signatures, and that person's signature is then notarized. So in Holly's case, she signs apparently that she collected all these signatures. She then has her signature notarized that she's the person who collected the signatures. It's notarized by um, Evan England, who's the uh, campaign spokesperson. So England is notarizing simply that Holly signed in front of him. He's not vouching for the accuracy or authenticity of the signatures okay. collected. So, Holly now has an attorney, a very good attorney, um, yep. release a statement saying that she didn't collect the signatures. Well, that's not really maybe a good thing to say since she's attesting that she did sign the, that she did collect all the signatures. Hmm. The statement released by the attorneys uh, complains that Holly received no training or instructions from the campaign. Well, what would those instructions be? Don't rule number one: don't forge people's signatures. Right. Rule number two: don't sign on behalf of dead people. Rule number three: don't attest that you collected signatures that you didn't. Well, so I don't know what the the written instructions would be. The campaign says we did provide written instructions. Right. So what would those instructions be? don't forge people's names, yeah. don't get the signature of dead people. It's pretty obvious what's fair game and what isn't. Apparently, these people collecting signatures for the uh, Matters campaign were collecting signatures in Cranston, which is outside of uh, Congressional District 1 and yep. can have no legitimate purpose. So it seems like a pretty wild um, crew they had out there collecting um, some legitimate signatures and some clearly not, some clearly of dead people. Others, people say, that's not my signature. I've never signed anyone's nomination papers that somebody forged my name. It was so transparently bad. You know, some people would sign and they would give their home address as um, East Providence Town Hall. I think somebody gave... Right. Some other obscure city council members, right? Which all were phony. They they're yeah. phony signatures. It's all phony. So will that and and the campaign says, well, even with these phony signatures, we still have enough to hit the five hundred number, so we're on the ballot. And I guess that's what the board of elections found that you know she would be on the ballot and would keep looking at signatures after the fact, which. I guess is for the board of election, there was a four to one decision. So she's on the ballot and they'll keep looking at signatures. But it seems to me right now, the person who is being more um, prudent is um, this Shannon Gallagher, who has said, I will have no comment. Right. She's been asked, she says, I'm not Nothing. saying anything. 
yeah. which from from my view, and again, we've talked about it so many times, say nothing. Now, with McLaren, she's got an attorney John releasing Grasso. a, a statement. Yep. John Grasso, very good attorney, releasing a statement on her behalf. Um, he's saying things on her behalf which contradict what the campaign says. Exactly. So now you've got two conflicting stories. So mm-hmm. someone's telling the truth and somebody is not telling the truth. Um, whether or not instructions were provided to these campaign workers is sort of beside the point. Whether you were instructed mm-hmm. or not, you can't forge signatures and sign for dead people. Sure. So I don't know that I would have. Everyone handles cases differently. I don't think I would have had Holly saying anything directly or having anyone say things on her behalf. It's, it's not helpful because right. at this juncture, people can't have their stories straight. Because there's multiple people involved and no one knows what the other folks are saying. Um, It seems to me if I was one of these campaign workers who might have also been out there getting um, phony signatures, um, it might be prudent for those people who no one's paying attention to, to go in early to have a sit down with the prosecutors to try to have a free talk, try to get an immunity deal. Uh, to try to get themselves out of harm's way. Because if Holly says, John, that she didn't collect the signatures, but she signed that she did collect the signatures, well, somebody put those names on there and somebody phonied up signatures. Yeah. So there's a finite number of people who it could be. So will any of those people fess up and say, yeah, I did it? Are they all going to stonewall? I mean, if they all stonewall, Holly is still left holding the bag because she right. signed the attestation clause. Mm. So it, it's, it seems to me the, the campaign and these identified, you know, the people signing these forms, because their stories are all contradictory, they, they keep, they give the story legs. It's not dying. Sure. Tim Dodd, the, um, the attorney general's office, Peter Rohn, and also the state police. First of all, it doesn't sound like this. This investigation sounds like it's going to go on for quite some time because you have to track down any all the signatures. You have to track down the border canvases. And then you also have to talk to all of the people whose names were basically forged. So I, I, I would think this is going to go on for quite some time, let alone if it goes to a grand jury. Well, yes. And, you know, if if if. Mr. X's name was forged onto um, the nomination papers. You know, Mr. X might say that's not my signature, but he may never have been in the presence of the person who was supposed to be collecting those signatures. Right. So he, the, the person who says that's not me, I didn't sign that. They may not know who signed their name. Uh, so it's going to be a very tedious effort to go through I think there's what over 700 total signatures. Right. Lots of them are good, without right. question, but we just don't know the number that are bad. Ultimately, is it 200? Is it 250? Or is it like yeah. 30? We don't. We don't right. really know. But um, it's not a story that's going to go away anytime no. soon. No. And the fact that she is speaking out in through her attorney, uh, I wouldn't imagine that that John Grasso would, you know, would, would cause her harm in some way. But, um, but Tim Dodd, is, is this also a matter of, we don't, well, this is unknowable, but of whether or not Attorney General Peter Nerona may bundle it all into one, or if these could all be separate felony counts? Arguably, they could be separate felony accounts because wow. every time you, you forge somebody's signature or, yeah. you know, it's a misrepresentation, it's a criminal misrepresentation. Right. It's more likely it gets bundled up in some form or fashion. But okay. if you really look at the statute, each one of these events where a person phonies up somebody's signature, yep, um, that's a separate criminal act. Yeah. And in East Providence, they um, apparently allegedly forged the signatures of members of the city council. And and I'm pretty sure Rhode Island has a statute for there's an additional penalty for impersonating a public official. 
That's a good point. That's a very good yeah. point, which could enhance the um, the exposure criminally that whoever is the ultimate defendants, <clears throat> excuse me, are, are going to face. Um, again, this has probably happened in many campaigns. I think it's a fair thing to speculate, but it's never been so blatant. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that it was caught initially in a very small town where everyone knows everybody uh-huh. um, sort of lit the fuse here. And now it, it's um, spread to all these other communities who are now duty bound to say, "Uh oh, we better look at our roster of people who signed the nomination papers as well. Does it go back to previous election cycles? Um Maybe it does. And if the statute of limitations is still viable and Holly or Shannon Gallagher, let's say, hypothetically, did the same function for previous campaigns, there could be further criminal exposure. Yeah. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Our legal expert attorney, <clears throat> Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. We're speaking with our legal expert. It's attorney, Tim Dodd. Tim, um, AJ, drywall, plaster, home improvement, call them today for a free quote. You can also find them on Facebook, 401-323-9252, 323-9252, AJ, drywall, plasters, home improvement, frame to finish basements. What a difference it'll make in your basement. Acoustic ceilings. Look how beautiful your ceiling could be. New homes, additions, also commercial rehabs, painting, remodeling contact them today it's a family-run business aj drywall plaster home improvements call for a free quote what a difference they'll make in your home your ceilings floors basements 401-323-9252 what a difference beautiful walls and ceilings 401-323-9252 you can also find them on facebook it's AJ Drywall Plaster and Home Improvements for your home or business. The bad news for the McKee Advantos administration continues. Governor McKee now, uh, eth- <clears throat> our, the Ethics Board, Ethics Council, is uh, essentially saying that this lunch he had at the the Capitol Grill, that this they're going to investigate this. This was with the, the lobbyist, Britt, and then the two people come in from Philadelphia and then they make them write out their checks. Um, I, I'm just curious, legally, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, this isn't a jail case, but at the same time, if you're the governor, you don't want to deal with it. But I, I just want to once again, remind people, if you could touch on the, the legal power, the ethics commission, they, you know, you can't just blow them off. They, they, they are a body that has to be reckoned with. Yes. The, the ethics commission um, looks in when there's an ethics complaint made, um, the commission looks at it. They determine whether they want to investigate further or whether they want to dismiss it as being something frivolous or something outside of the scope of their jurisdiction. Here, the essential issue which they are investigating is the lunch, not from the perspective of these people from Philadelphia showing up with checks to um, give to the campaign or to, you know, friends of McKee, whatever they call it. It's the lunch because a politician is not supposed to accept any gift valued at over $25. That seems a ridiculously low amount in today's economy, but that's what it is. So arguably, when this lunch is attended, the bill is over $200 apparently. And um, McKee doesn't pay for it and his campaign doesn't pay for it, at least in the first instance, then has he received something of value of more than $25 and not reported it, making it an ethics violation? Well, sure, I guess it is. from a significance standpoint, it's on the very lowest end of the ethics spectrum, in my view, in terms of an issue. Sure. Uh, you know, I think McKee said he left the lunch. He didn't know who paid for it when he learned. I think that Britt paid for it. His campaign reimbursed Britt when it came to light. 
you know, this is a lunch. Everyone's scrambling to leave. So the bill right. comes. Somebody's going to grab the check and get it paid. Um, is it something for which a fine would be issued or a warning? I'm not sure if they do warnings, but if it was a fine, it would be of the lowest magnitude yeah. um, in my view. The thing that happened, which happens all the time, but it's not an ethical violation, is when these people showed up for, for lunch bearing uh, checks to contribute to the campaign. <laughs> yeah, but, that's a bad look. First time meeting them. All right, make it out right here, friends of McKee. I mean, that to but, me is the worst look, Tim Dodd. Well, it's the wow. worst look, but oh. it's the worst look, but it it's what, unfortunately, it's sort of what makes the world go around. When Donald yeah. Trump was running for president, he bragged. Right. He, would, yeah. he would contribute to everybody's All campaign, the Democrats, right. the Republicans, because he was wanting to do business and he wanted to have some influence and some ability to call these different politicians. Hey, I, I, I'm trying to get this done, you know, whatever the case might be. That's, it's what happens in the world of politics. Sure. You've got, you know, people like Donald Trump who brag, this is, this is what I do. I mean, right. I can Cost think of many that's right. When you look at the so, list of contributors to campaigns, there's law firms who give to both sides. There's construction companies sure. and unions. They all give to both right. sides. They give to everybody. So it's I, it's not unusual, but the optics okay. aren't great. Uh, folks, again, we're speaking with a legal expert. Uh, it's attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, I want to touch on this Shoreline case. Uh, there's a story in the Boston Globe. I saw these videos over the weekend. It happened in Middletown. And it has to do with the Shoreline access. But so now there are signs put up shoreline access. And now, according to the video, I mean, this, this, it was a younger guy, but he goes crashing onto this guy's property and starts screaming, no, 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 I have shoreline access. And it's supposed to, as you know, it's supposed to be 10 feet up from the low tide at, at the beach. So you could literally walk along the beach. We'll say Narragansett. You knew now could go in front of the Dunes Club and plop down 10 feet up from the line and they, can't kick you off and apparently the same thing with Bonachores. but what we saw illustrated here was this guy seemingly to me in the video didn't have any interest in really you know he didn't have a lunch packed or he, it wasn't like a towel gonna go for a swim he was there basically got arrested for trespassing for just now he feels it's okay to tramps and along this guy's property well clearly he had an agenda he wanted to yeah. poke, he wanted to poke that homeowner sure. in the eye if you will yeah. metaphorically he wanted to this poke him in the eye and give him a hard time yep. and you know there's always gadflies out there who will want to test the law and um test the law i guess that's the best way to say it there there's a group of um individuals and i guess this corporate interests who own waterfront property who have now filed a lawsuit um, to get an injunction and right. to have a court determine yeah. that this uh, legislation that passed in the, in the last session is unconstitutional. It's a very complicated yeah. um, um, balancing of interests. The Rhode Island Constitution always has recognized in some form or fashion the public's right to access the waterfront. Right that right butts up against owner's rights. So if Ooh. somebody buys a piece of property uh, 50 years ago and their backyard goes right up to the shore, okay? So now you've got that little maybe 10-foot area. This new legislation really does extend much further away from the water and into a person's private property the rights of passage. So I think there was one guy from Charleston. He says, listen, my backyard goes right up to the beach. Right you know, now I've got people. So arguably you could have people set up. If you're the owner in his backyard yeah. and enjoy the beach and say, hello. Yeah. What does that do to the owner's property rights? Well, either an easement has been granted over his property without consent. It certainly would affect the, um, market value of that property i mean a property with a nice ocean view is worth one thing 
or an ocean front. It's quite another thing if there's like weekenders literally yeah. camped out in your backyard having a weenie roast every weekend. Mm. Uh, it, it's a much different situation. The At the last con Constitutional Convention Rhode Island had in 1986, there was an attempt to clean up or correct or amend the language regarding the shoreline. Um, and I think they made a hash of it back in 1986. Um, there was a real loss of clarity. They, they talk about the mean, excuse me, the mean high tide line. And they talk about that in relation to the, uh, the, the seaweed line. And they were basically standards which were impossible to um, measure and impossible to enforce because they were so vague. Um, so this legislation from the last session, I think, is an attempt to fix, quote unquote, what occurred in 1986 with our Constitution. Okay. But the statute cannot upend or overturn what's in the Constitution. So I think that a court is going to have to find ultimately that this legislation is unconstitutional in its language, in its purpose, in its effect. Um, it's just unconstitutional. I, I can't yeah. see it being upheld. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. Limitless Outdoors. Why do they call it Limitless Outdoors R.I.? Well, because it's limitless what they could do for your home, for your property. Call today for a free quote, 401-580-1852. Limitless Outdoors. Remember their slogan, dream, build, enjoy. It starts with a discussion how you'd like to use your outdoor space. They can design your outdoor space to fit your aesthetics and lifestyle. They specialize in patios, walkways, steps, outdoor kitchens, landscape lighting, retaining walls, lawn installation, excavation, limitless outdoors. They can also up, update your indoor fireplace. Call today, free consultation, free quote, 401-580-1852. You can also find them on Facebook and then their website is LimitlessOutdoorsRI.com. How about an outdoor kitchen? Call them today, Limitless Outdoors, 401 580-1852. We're speaking with our legal expert. It is attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, this Karen Reed case, uh, situation in Canton, it's gotten a lot of publicity. Then a big hearing where the prosecutors, I believe, are, are looking to try to get a gag order in place. I think it's interesting that they kind of fleshed out a little bit in court, I, I don't remember the last time I saw what these defense attorneys are doing, which is I think they're also from California, but it, it, it did come out in court is which they're doing is they lead to the media motions they're going to make. And it doesn't matter whether or not they have any merits. So then the media runs with these motions before they file them. It is true. They cherry pick certain evidence. Uh, you know, they're trying to draw a lot of attention to the case. There was even people there like rallying for her at the courthouse so, but the the judge seems firm. The judge, uh, all this stuff's been leaked that the judge has a conflict, has to recuse herself from the case. The judge basically can't go out in court. Like, I don't know what you people are talking about. So there seems to be like two parallel worlds. There's the outside that is filled with conspiracy and, and uh, cover up and all this other stuff. And then you have, you know, the facts inside the courtroom of the Karen Reed case. Well, it's a very interesting case. I mean, yeah. whether or not forgetting all of the um, whispering to the media to get things reported that favor your side, forgetting all that for just a sec, um, the circumstances of this um, cop being found dead in a driveway in a blizzard is very suspicious. The prosecutors say that Karen Reed had argued with this um, deceased police officer, John O'Keefe, Yep. They were all drinking at a house party. They go outside, they're arguing. She leaves. The allegation is she ran him over, I guess, purposefully, and then left and went home. And he was left out in the cold to, I guess, freeze to death and die or die of his injuries. When he is found the next morning, 
um, there's things that are inconsistent with getting hit by an SUV and knocked down. He's got, I guess his eyes are swollen shut, which would look like he had been in a fight. His nose was bleeding, which would be evidence of being in a fight. He had scratches on his arms, which the defense says were caused by the homeowner's a German shepherd who was looking to protect the homeowner and the defense um, hypothesizes that this guy got into a fight with his fellow, one of one or more of his fellow officers who were all drinking at this house party. Um, he gets, I guess, knocked down or injured beyond what they expected. And he's taken outside and left there to die. So it's, it's not an incident which happened inside. Who knows? That's all speculation. The defense has put out this theory of the case, whether or not they can get their theory into evidence. I think that they can certainly show doubt with the prosecutor's case because of the peculiar and largely inconsistent injuries that the decedent had. But the action going on in court is much different. You know, the prosecutors like to get their message out through the press when it favors them. So does defense counsel. It happens every day, except in cases where a judge might issue a gag order to keep the parties from leaking their stories or discussing the case with the press. This judge has not gone that far, but I think she's getting close. The defense has been filing motions, and any motion that's filed in a case is fair game for the press to see. Um, lawyers have to be careful because if they file things that are frivolous or clearly false or just made up, um, lawyers risk being sanctioned under something called Rule 11, which is a pretty standard thing in most jurisdictions, which the court can penalize monetarily lawyers for filing frivolous or false motions or documents. Um, The prosecution doesn't like it when the defense is getting things out into the media directly or by any, any reporter worth their salt looking at the docket in the courthouse. They don't like it when it undercuts the prosecutor's theory of the case. They're more than happy when the reporting favors their position. So this judge has a tiger by the tail if she's going to try to issue some sort of a gag order. I think that the defense was as close to the line as you can get when they were suggesting that this judge had some relation to the prosecution and that she would would be somehow biased and needed to recuse herself from the case. She went through the papers, addressed everything in there, said everything in the defense papers is essentially false, and I'm, I'm not recusing. But... John, it does look like the defense is willing to engage in a scorched earth um, defense here and pulling every stop out that they can pull out. When you make a run at the judge saying you got to recuse because you're biased and the judge says, no, I don't. You know, when you swing and you miss trying to get a judge recused, um, it doesn't usually bode well for how the trial is going to proceed once it gets teed up. Yeah. Folks, again, we're speaking with our legal expert. It's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, this next story, I, I i mean, we cover a lot of different stories. I can't believe the arrogance and the disposition. I'm talking about this Providence rep, uh, the Providence police, actually all over the country. But this happens in Providence where they, they have these places. They, they're called SIPs, but they're after-hour places. And, you know, clubs normally close 2 o'clock in the morning. But if you know the right person and you have an address – uh, there's places you go in and it's essentially set up like a nightclub in someone's basement or living room or apartment, whatever it is. But, you know, they charge cover. They usually have a DJ. They have booze there. But sometimes, you know, as you can imagine there's gambling, there's illicit activity, there's uh, and there's violence. There was someone killed and lo and behold, as the Providence police are monitoring one of these and then try to break it up. There, there's a sitting state rep this this rep sanchez so uh on the body cam of the boston globe broke the story and then channel 12 also has it but you see the providence police kind of like saying to this rep you you should not be here you're an elected official this isn't after this like 3 30 in the morning um if you could just touch on the legality of 
of some of this stuff. I'm actually I was just appalled <laughs> at his brazen manner of talking to the Providence police. Yeah, I guess it's a it's a it's a new world of um, <laughs> elected representatives. Yeah. Uh, for better or worse, probably worse. But yes, the, Providence, like many cities and towns, has these places called sip joints, where it's an after hours place and you either pay a cover, as you say, to get in, or once you're in, you know, you're paying for, for drinks or whatever else is going on. Uh, clearly, these are illegal establishments. They are not licensed. They don't have a proper liquor license to be serving alcohol at three in the morning. Um, they're probably not, you know, collecting sales tax on what they what they sell. It's a completely illegal operation. Now, the cops were there. I'm not sure if they were surveilling it. I'm sh- not sure if they were there looking for someone in particular. It's clearly some of these SIP joints are known by the cops to be doing their business after hours. Now, this rep goes there. I guess there's some question as to whether he went in or not. I guess he said, I was going to visit some people there at 3.30 in the morning, but it was crowded, so he decided not to go in, and he stayed in his car answering emails. Well, good luck if anyone believes that particular story. Um, is, is, Is it foolhardy for the guy to be there, he's a state rep, to be at a clearly, knowingly illegal establishment. Um, One would think he would know better. One would think politically it wouldn't be helpful. But his story is, I'm never going to stray far from my roots. This is is where I come from, and I'm not going to leave my neighborhood and the people that I know. Maybe going to a SIP joint gets him more votes in his particular rep district. And Mm -hmm. maybe that's the new world that we're dealing with, but um, he didn't get arrested because he didn't do anything criminal. Okay. Nor, nor was anyone else arrested. I guess the cops could have gone in and busted the place and arrested. Yeah, That was my question. Could they start rounding everybody up that's inside there? Yes, they could. Sure. They could. Okay. Wow. So I'm not sure exactly what their presence was for. Okay. If they were surveilling for something different, if they were looking for somebody in particular, um, you know, sometimes you want to leave the trap set, leaving it so that these individuals can go to these hip joints. And it's kind of easy picking for the cops if the right people show up and they're being sure. looked at for a particular reason. If you closed up all the hip joints, you know, basically, not, you can't say everyone in there is up to no good, but gives them an easy place to congregate that the cops can surveil at three in the morning. Sure. Good point. Um, Tim Dot, I want to just revisit and touch on, I think we touched on the past, but just get your thoughts on the story of the East Greenwich bank executives accused of profiting from this illicit loan scheme. Um, the story popped. There's, there's definitely, you know, some investigation going on. I, I just wanted to revisit it and just get your thoughts on, that we're we're you know they're making the allegations of what happened and then where this could end up going well it it's a very unusual i think i hope it's an unusual situation this rather small bank in east greenwich called independence bank i i'd never heard of it candidly before the story broke there's an individual last name is ponty who um finds people who need an SBA loan for their business. And Ponty brings these individuals saying, I got a bank for you. They'll help you get this um, SBA loan. He will take them to Independence Bank. They will apply for an SBA loan. Ultimately, they'll get the SBA loan. However, while waiting for the SBA loan, Ponty was loaning money at a very high interest rate, allegedly, uh, calling it a bridge loan. So somebody needs money to start a business, to keep their business afloat. They apply for an SBA loan. Let's assume it takes four months for the SBA money to come in and the person can't wait. Ponty makes a loan, a bridge loan. Now, when the money comes in from the SBA, the recipient of the funds has to pay back Ponty. So 
a lot of the money intended to be utilized for the borrower's business is actually being redirected back to Ponte to pay back the, the, the loan principal and the exorbitant allegedly interest that was accumulating um, on the bridge loan. So that's improper. Further, of the loan SBA loans that were done in this manner, approximately something like 40% of the SBA loans that went through this system ultimately defaulted. And the default damaged the SBA to the tune of something like $8.8 million. Wow. So it, it appears, I'm not saying it is, but it has the appearances of being a scheme. Ponte brings the guys in. They uh, ask for the loan uh, from the SBA. They get the loan, and then they got a kickback to Ponte, uh, principal and interest on the bridge loan leaving insufficient funds for whatever the business purpose was and then defaulting. So it's a nice little um, closed circle, if you will, mm. that, that really does benefit this guy Ponte. Now there's a question of whether it's legal or illegal. Apparently, you know, the bank investigators are saying that this was improper. They're not, have not yet been, I, I don't believe criminal charges filed, but it does appear to be something you know, anytime you've got a bank and anytime you've got wire transfers, anytime there's wires involved, it becomes a federal situation crossing state lines, making wire transfers, et cetera. So if there's going to be criminal charges, which is not certain, it's almost a lock that it would be filed in federal court. And if you're a defendant in federal court, it's a much more uncomfortable situation than if you're a defendant in state court. Sure. Tim Dodd, the, the, the next we hear about this, could it would it be probably if 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 some action was going to be taken by the U.S. attorney? That would likely be the next thing that we would hear. Now, is yeah. that a certainty? Um, no, it's not a certainty, but it's no. a very unusual set of circumstances that were going on at this very small, specific bank. And it was the same players involved over and over in these um SBA loans. It's very unusual. Yeah. Folks, again, he is our legal expert. It's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, excellent job as always. We'll touch on some of the other legal matters. We could go on all day, but we'll touch on them next week and we will talk to you again. Absolutely. Thanks, John. Take care. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue, West Warwick. Delicious food and drink they have a great bar area always a dependable menu whether you're going to eat there or take out a delicious meal is waiting for you at the coincid inn look for them online you can also find them on facebook whether it's lunch dinner or drinks in the lounge always a good time at the coincid inn 226 coincid avenue in west warwick You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 .9 FM. Uh, you can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. This UFO hearing, um, I'm not sure what to make of it, but I want to play some of it. U.S. recovered non-human biological pilots from the crash. This was the, um, <laughs> the testimony. Nine, uh, bipartisan hearing, by the way, on Capitol Hill. Let's hear some of this something I can't discuss in public setting. Um, okay, I can't ask when you think this occurred. <laughs> um, if you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. And was this documentary evidence, this video, photos, eyewitness? Like, how would that be determined? The specific documentation I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and, and you may or may not be able to answer my last question, and maybe we get into a skiff at the next hearing that we have, but who in the government either... What agency, sub-agency, what contractors, 
who should be called into the next hearing about UAPs, either in a public setting or even in a private setting? And, and you probably can't name names, but what agencies or organizations, contractors, et cetera, do we need to call in to get these questions answered, whether it's about funding, what programs are happening, and what's out there? I can give you a specific cooperative and hostile witness list of specific individuals uh, that were in those. And, and how soon can we get that list? I'm happy to provide that to you after the hearing. You know, that... Um that certainly is getting a lot of attention. I want to play just a little bit more on this um, hearing about lawmakers rebuked the secrecy. Whose lives depend on Here we UAP go. are in our airspace, but they are grossly underreported. These sightings are not rare or isolated. They are routine. Military aircrew and commercial pilots, trained observers whose lives depend on accurate identification, are frequently witnessing these phenomena. The stigma attached to UAP is real and powerful and challenges national security. It silences commercial pilots who fear professional repercussions, discourages witnesses, and is only compounded by recent government claims questioning the credibility of eyewitness testimony. I was informed in the course of my official duties of a multi-decade uh, UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program, uh, to which I was denied access to those additional read-ons when I uh, requested it. I made the decision, based on the data I collected, to report this information to my superior, superiors and multiple inspectors general, and in effect becoming a whistleblower. As you know, I've suffered retaliation for my decision, uh, but I am hopeful that my actions will ultimately lead uh, to a positive outcome of uh, increased transparency. Um, Mr. Grush, what, what about you? What was your experience after you came forward? Well, uh, it's only been about two months or so, so I guess my experience has been you know, overwhelming support from uh, former colleagues of mine that have you know, privately messaged me, and, and I do appreciate that. Uh, but I, I do have knowledge of um, active planned uh, reprisal activity against myself and other colleagues, and it's very, very upsetting to me. Coming you know, folks, I, um, I, I'm not sure what to make of a lot of the... Um, the the government sheltering this hiding on it um this whole business on the I, there there's some people that told, I'm not sure exactly what to make make of it other than we there's been so much rumor on this that it's I think it's tough to separate fact from from fiction you're listening to the John DePietro show it's my health 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland Diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant. Stop in and see Marie, that historic white church. Shop local, inside, all quality products, vitamins, herbal remedies, trusted companies. They understand quality, integrity. It's my health. It's all about your health. Local products, I say, honey, maple syrup, beef, fresh gum. You know, they carry over 250 bulk herbs, teas, and spices that can be purchased by the ounce plus box herbs and teas, hemp and CBD products and much more natural skincare products. Stop it and see Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. It's all about health for you, for your family. There's vitamins for children, all different types of teas, all different types of spices. Boy, what a difference it'll make. Shop local. Stop it and see the queen of health. It's Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland, diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant, right in that historic white church. It's all about health. It's all about your health at It's My Health, 1099-1099. 